Hi, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of On the Horizon, the RC podcast. I'm your host and Horizon president, Chris Dickerson. With me, as always, our marketing director, Mr. Steve Petrato. Steve, how you doing? Hanging in there, Chris. Doing really great. Uh, I'm excited to have another episode here. And, um, you know, things have been been really exciting here at Horizon. I know you, you, myself, and the rest of the team have been working hard to keep the flow of awesome products to folks and and all the while kind of plan for the future, whether it be events or new products. Um, you know, I think this this time at home has allowed us all to come up with new and cool ideas. Uh, I've got a list, and I think you probably do too, of, of all the different uh, ways we can communicate or the cool different of ideas once we get back out there. Um, so uh, my notebook, every day I you know have a new light bulb moment and go, oh, man, that would be cool. Um, so, uh, no, I'm, I'm doing great. Things are great. Um, weather's turning up, as I always mention, the weather, the spring weather finally here in central Illinois. I think the rain has been on the forecast pretty much every day this week, but we've somehow yeah. been able to dodge most of it. So yeah. uh, it's been it's been pretty good. How have you been? Uh, about the same. You know, uh, it's nice to be able to get outside a little bit between rain showers, and uh, but it, it is good. It's nice. I am continuing to be amazed with, you know, how much energy there is in the RC community right now, the cool stuff people are doing at home. Um, it's exciting. Uh, business has certainly been booming. I think a lot of people, you know, they're home and they're looking for something fun to do. And we're seeing a lot of people come back to the RC community. I think your dog agrees with us, Steve. Um, (laughs) It's really cool. You know, we're all itching to get back out there and kind of get back to normal. And I know for a lot of people listening to this podcast, you know, certainly, you know, we've had a boom in business and, and it caught us off guard a little bit. You know, we understand that our fill rates haven't been as good on a lot of the hot products that everybody looks to Horizon for as they'd like them to be. Um, we are doing everything in our power, as you know, Steve, to get that stuff back in stock as quickly as we can. Uh, nobody planned on a pandemic um, that would, you know, cause everybody to be at home and, and want to buy new RC stuff. But we are slowly getting things back into stock. We ask people to, to keep looking and to be patient. Um, similarly, because we've got a lot more people at home throughout the day, uh, you know, with their RC hobby, a lot of them are calling in for help and our product support and customer service teams have been kind of swamped the last uh, couple, you know, few weeks here. And we are doing everything we can to uh, make sure we we improve our service levels to our customers. We ask that you just be patient. And remember, there is a pandemic out there and uh, we're trying to do our best in tough times. But we will continue to uh, get back to those service levels that everybody looks to from Horizon, both the cool product and the great service. Those are two of our hallmarks, as you know, Steve, and um, we're going to get back to those. Um, I am excited as we get into June, actually, you know, Steve, at least in Illinois, they are starting to allow us to get back to work. Our distribution center has been open, but they are allowing us to slowly return to the office. So as you know, we're kind of starting to phase uh, people back into the office, which will, if nothing else, uh, probably help just life feel a little bit more normal again. Um, uh, which is great. So, you know, we are getting back to work, back to the office a little bit, but we will continue to do it in a very slow measured way um, to be cautious here so that we don't put any of our employees at risk. Uh, But, you know, we've got a lot of cool stuff to be excited about, Steve, if you want to jump into a few of those things. 
Yeah, it wouldn't be a Horizon podcast without products. Um, but I'll, before we get into that, uh, the other exciting stuff is we've got the Q2 of Transmitter Magazine. It's headed to the printer now, and we'll be mailing soon both a printed copy for our pro and legend members uh, that are a part of the RC Club. And if you're not a part of the RC Club, it's super easy to sign up, uh, and you can become a pro member, I believe, with either spending uh, money or with the site, or you can pay 20 bucks to get a pro membership, and you're going to be locked into that printed mailed copy but everybody in the club that's even a free member will get a digital version of transmitter magazine which much like the podcast is a kind of a community expose uh, you know magazine that goes through what's going on in the community uh you know various articles from different folks um really cool pieces about you know not just products right it's about all the different community aspects so we're excited about the second version of that second copy of that uh to come out here very shortly so if you're in the club you'll be getting a mailed version of it and if you want a version of it or a pdf version of it you'll be able to just make sure to sign up for the club on the horizonhobby.com website uh, and you can get a, get in on the action and then just as a quick reminder uh rc fest and axial fest those are coming up here, guys, but we did have to postpone uh, Axial Fest Badlands, and uh, we are going to go forward with Ax- – or sorry, I totally messed that up. <laughs> we did postpone Axial Fest uh, Donner, and we are going to continue going forward with Axial Fest Badlands, but we did have to push the dates out. Um, so make sure to check out on our site. Uh, there's an event section there. We've got all the new updated dates there. For both RC Fest, which is now in October, and Axial Fest Badlands, which is now in July. Uh, so check that out on the site. And then uh, also, the last reminder I have here is our uh, support hobby shops campaign that we kicked off to support the shops that have been kind of closed during this whole pandemic. That fundraiser activity is ending here very soon, June 1st. Uh, and we've already you know, got great bids on all the products that are out on our uh, on our bidding site. We've got great donations to the site. Tons of people have bought shirts. So we're pretty excited about the ability for us to give back uh, to folks in our, in our hobby retail world and our HCP program. Uh, so if you haven't bought a shirt yet, if you haven't bought stickers or just made a donation, please be sure to go ahead and do that uh, before June 1st uh, and, and support your local hobby shop. Yeah, you know, Steve, speaking of supporting your local hobby shop, just like I mentioned a bit ago, you know, Horizon, we're here in the state of Illinois, uh, the the headquarters, and uh, we're being allowed to go back to the office. Retail is also opening back up uh, in many states right now. And that does include in many, many states. Please check wherever you're at. Uh, But it is your local hobby store and they are still going to have some restrictions and some guidelines I know our hobby stores are going to do a great job of abiding by those by those guidelines. So please, uh, if if retail is opening in your area, go back, check out your local hobby store, uh, make sure you're supporting them. You know, it's been a tough couple of months for uh, small business, and you know your local hobby store is a small business. Uh, so get out there, support them, go find something fun to do. You know, the weather's great, like Steve talked about. And uh, it's important that, you know, we take care of them uh, and, and, you know, support them during this tough time. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're there for you when you need them. So definitely make sure to support them in, uh, in these times. And hopefully 
they're opening up near you. So as the rest of the world begins to open up, so do the hobby shops. Well, guys, uh, like I said, it wouldn't be a Horizon podcast without some product announcements. Uh, so just a few couple things. No, no big major you know, car or airplane or heli announcements, but a couple of really neat things I wanted to run through real quick. Uh, recently, we've released uh, or announced Duratrack's new belted tires. They're 2.8 tires. So uh, that 14 millimeter hex, great for many Arma and low C products like the Granite uh, and that sort of thing. So uh, if you've come to love the belted tire to not get that extra ballooning effect that it really does make a big difference in speed runs so or just overall performance so your tire doesn't turn into a pizza cutter at 40 miles an hour um, but the belted tires have been really successful for our larger vehicles from Duratrax and now we have a great selection at the 2.8 size uh, moving on, we've got a new great, kind of just a real great assortment of brushless air ESCs from Onyx. Uh, great, you know, cost-effective solution for a brushless ESC. Uh, so check out those from Onyx. We've released some new 22S aluminum option parts uh, from the Losi brand. And the last but not least, guys, the uh, Spectrum guys and the, and the smart team, if you will, have released two really cool uh, brushless motor and ESC combos, both for uh, eighth scale platforms. So there's going to be a 2050 kV and a 1900 kV uh, motor and 150 amp ESC combo, as well as a really nice drop in for that Arma Limitless, a uh, seventh scale combo for it. So it's a 160 amp ESC with a 1250 kV sensorless motor. So if you're looking to get a Limitless and you just don't know what motor to put in it because it is a roller, uh, now's kind of the chance to uh, just drop in a smart system and be smart off the bat and have a really quick motor in there. So two really cool announcements from Spectrum and obviously a couple other smaller accessory announcements. So, so um, I think that sounds, covers it. Yeah, Sounds like some great items to support uh, a lot of our, our uh, cool products that people may have out there and they're looking for that next upgrade option. Uh, sounds like a lot of cool stuff to, to go with this week, Steve. Um, yeah. Well, like always, uh, you know, I have to say, Steve, I think we have a phenomenal guest this week. So I say we uh, get to it, uh, bring him in and let's get started with our uh, guest this week. Awesome. Let's do it. Our next guest started racing at the young age of five and has been going full speed ever since. Over the years, his parents have taken him to races where he showed early signs of his amazing talent and control of the car. Instantly, Dakota's impact was felt in the RC industry, winning over 10 national stock titles and over 25 national titles combined with stock and modified. Through the process, his all-out speed and deadly track performance has earned him the nickname The Phenom from his rivals and peers. Please welcome today's guest, TLR's factory team driver, Dakota Fend. Dakota, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. How you doing? Pretty good. It's uh, exciting to be on here, uh, talk with you guys, and uh, yeah, just been uh, been trying to stay busy here. Okay, great. Well, we're going to start at the beginning here, if you will. And again, I always always laugh, Steve, a little bit because when we when we talk to somebody like Dakota, in my world, we talk about when he started and when he was young. Uh, Dakota's still pretty young in my books, but uh, uh, you know, I guess we'll start at the beginning, Dakota. If you could just tell us a little bit, you know, kind of the story of how you got started. We said you started when you were five years old. You know, how did that happen? How did you get into racing and and uh, kind of what's day one for Dakota Fend look like? Yeah, I mean, it kind of started out probably like what a lot of people's story was. Um, my dad had uh, one of those T-Max monster trucks and took us probably like six months or something to get it started. And uh, finally got it out there, just kind of 
you know, roaming around in the backyard, jumping off some curbs and things like that. And uh, I was it was fun. I kind of figured out the, you know, turning left and right and everything like that. And there was a hobby shop, man, maybe like two minutes from our house and kind of looked it up. I was like, hey, let's, you know, let's go check it out. And went in there, got a got a ready to run car and uh, just fell in love instantly. Honestly, you know, it was kind of something. Oh, you know, hey, let's just, you know, go up there, do it for fun and stuff. And it turned into every day after kindergarten, I would uh, be up at the track doing some running. And it's just what I wanted to do. So uh, my parents are super supportive in that. And it kind of took off really fast. You know, like I said, I was going to the track every day, breaking boxes of parts, just just going through those front arms back then. You know, they're pretty fragile. So we'd go through, man, I'd probably go through like 10 a day, I feel like. And uh, it was uh, it was fun. It's yeah, it was on a, a carpet like a stadium track. So it had uh wood pipes and stuff. So it was, it was pretty hard on the cars and uh, just helped me to uh, learn car control and things like that. And yeah, like I said, just kind of, kind of took off from there. I started traveling to kind of some local races and stuff for a couple of years, outdoor, indoor, things like that. And uh, just staying with, uh, with 10 scale for the first few years. Nice. Very good. Very what, good. What, yeah. uh, what was kind of your first, you said you ready to run. What was your first ready to run vehicle when you started out as a kid? I started out Other with a, T-Max. yeah, I started out with a, a ready to run T3. Okay. And that lasted, I think that lasted me about a month before we got a kit and built it. Um, there was a lot of people, there was a lot of people there that were racing and stuff. They kind of helped out and kind of, you know, got us started. And then it was something that I was interested in keeping, you know, keeping going and, uh, and progressing with it. So it was like, all right, let's time, time to get a kit now and kind of get more into the racing side of things. Right. What got you connected with the, you know, the TLR team as you kind of came up through the ranks, what kind of got you started on that path? Yeah. So I, uh, I switched when I was seven, seven years old. And I think I got sponsored by you guys, uh, the next year when I was eight, but, uh, switched, switched right before I went to my first, uh, first stock nationals and kind of, just it just really fit me. Uh, it was the BK2 and the MF2 back then. Those are the two cars that I got. Um, got them from dirt burners uh, with uh, Bill Bridges. Uh, I actually still have that picture. It's a it's a pretty cool picture. But yeah, I, I got into that and uh, got the BK2 kit, the MF2 kit. Got it built up and uh, felt really comfortable with it right away. Got them like maybe a month before nationals. So it was it was a pretty pretty close time frame. Um, but yeah, everything just worked and. Uh, been uh, been running it ever since well very cool i know um i know chris had in the intro had mentioned your nickname the phenom I, i'd like to ask you kind of you know how did you get that name do you think and and does it you know kind of feel weird these days being called that while you're racing or uh, what, what's the story behind that yeah so it actually started i believe it was uh 2007 uh it was a super stock nationals at hot rod hobbies uh jimmy Babcock's track and he started calling me that. Um, so at that point, I had quite a few years of stock nationals, you know, that I had gone to and stuff. And this was my last year. I did the super stock nationals. And after this, I moved up to mod. So he actually was the one that started calling calling me that. Um, I thought it was super cool at the time. Um, it kind of like goes with my last name a little bit with the PH. So that was pretty cool. And it was a definitely, definitely a huge honor to have someone like that in the industry so prevalent. 
you know, come up with with a nickname and for it to be, you know, what it is. So kind of it started pretty, pretty young for me. Uh, I would have been 10 or 11 there. So kind of grew up with it like that and uh, definitely become used to it. But no, it's it was a huge honor to get that. And uh, I definitely love it. Yeah, well, you certainly know you you've uh, made it in your uh, world when you have a cool nickname like that. I know, uh, you know Steve, Steve's alternate ego, you know, in the FPV world, the Steve, um, uh-huh. kind of playing on playing on the Stig. I've always I, I always like to uh, to refer to him. I think it's really cool when you refer to yourself in third person, like the Rock. You know, you know you've made it. So. When, when yeah. you're the phenom or the Steve, I think uh, that that's really cool. I don't have a cool nickname to share with you guys, so uh, uh, I, I can't add to that part of the conversation. But it, it is neat, and certainly, <laughs> you know, you, you've certainly lived up to it, Dakota. And um, I, I, I mean, I have to ask, you know, you, like you said, you started racing at such a, a young age competitively. Um, like you said, sponsored by TLR when you turned eight years old. Um, what is it about RC racing that, that attracted you to it in your younger days? And what is it that keeps you so motivated now? Yeah, that's, that's a, it's a great question. I think, I think it kind of draws in everyone for a little bit of a different reason. Um, but growing up before racing got serious and before I even started, my family was always pretty big into cars. Um, we go to car shows and things like that you know, whether it be outside or actual, like, you know, in buildings and stuff. And just kind of love that. I watched uh, Dukes of Hazard and Knight Rider growing up. Those are my two main shows. And uh, I just always, always had a passion for cars. And it was something that I could do at a really young age where, you know, most, most motorsports you can't really do till you get a little bit older. Um, and I, I didn't really have any interest in doing the the go-kart oval stuff. I liked having, having the layouts and the dirt and the jumps and everything like that. So once I found RC, it just felt felt really natural, and it felt like it kept kept me connected to the car world at such a young age, and that I was actually able to be a part of of a racing industry. Yeah, very cool. And is that still what motivates you? Is that still uh, you still think of yourself as a you know as one of the Duke boys when you're out there on the track? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just I just love racing. Like I said, I love racing and I love cars, and uh, that passion has never never gone away um there's just that you know that feeling you get when you're when you're out there driving and everything's going right there's not really anything like it and uh, i i think that's a case you know for a lot of people when you go out there and just just having fun all the people that i've met throughout the years and all the, the cool places that i've got to travel and the cultures that i've seen and got to experience firsthand i mean it's uh it's it's been a pretty amazing journey and uh i i keep learning things every day and uh you know getting to travel to new places here, you know, pretty much every year I'll go to somewhere, somewhere new. So it's just been a, an amazing journey. And, uh, yeah, just, the just the drive to always, always be better. And, uh, just to, uh, to keep, keep seeing how I can progress and, uh, and get better. Yeah, That's great. Well, you've obviously, you know, like you said, a lot of travel, a lot of prep time, you know, things like that with racing, you know, how do you deal with that, with school, with, you know, some of the other challenges you face, you know, as you get a little bit older and uh, become an adult, you know, but when you're traveling, racing, you know, education, life, how do you balance all of that? Yeah, it was super tough growing up, going to school. I went to a public schools uh, all the way up until I graduated. 
So, I mean, I, I was missing 40 to 50 days a year from uh, middle school through high school. So it, it, it was a ton of days and it was it was very hard to keep up. Uh, fortunately, like I said, my parents supported me from day one and what I wanted to do. So they helped me kind of balance that and figure out what my life would look like. And uh, kind of explained to me, hey, you know, if you want to do this, we'll, we'll make it happen. But you're going to have to make sacrifices and kind of help me to see what those sacrifices would be. So, you know, with that being said, like I said, I'd miss 40 to 50 days a year. So I would go into school an hour early, pretty much every day, and then stay two or three hours after school every day, uh, just trying to catch up, taking tests, exams, things like that. You know, if I had any questions on work. And then when I was gone traveling and stuff, I pretty much was having to teach myself for the most part. Um, I would have my textbook with me. And I'd be doing homework and trying to uh, learn the lessons and everything like that. So, yeah, it, it was it was definitely tough. Um, fortunately, like I said, my mom kind of kept the whole RC thing organized. She'd organize all the parts, um, order everything. And my dad would work on the cars, keep those maintained, you know, glue all the tires, everything like that. So I was uh, my main focus was trying to uh, keep up with my schoolwork. And then when the time came to race to uh get out there and race and uh, make it happen. So it was definitely a team effort. And uh, as it as time progressed and, you know, graduated high school and stuff, uh, I did college for a little bit, which was uh, extremely tough with racing, um, just kind of missing, missing the lectures and, you know, having to be there for exams and, and everything like that. So that was pretty tough. Um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, once, uh, you know, once I became adult, um, you know, got, Got married uh, after a couple years, and uh, you know, mo- moved in with my wife. Um, got a place to stay, um, and eventually ended up buying a house. So it, it's been a lot to balance and a lot to figure out, and it's kind of just been uh, going with the flow and uh, doing my best and relying on the people around me. You know, I, I it's it, there's no there's no easy way to make it happen. Unfortunately, um, it's been uh, it's been tough. But once you kind of figure out that balance, it's like you know, all right, on to the to the next thing to figure out. Yeah, well, if I remember right, you're you're kind of lucky too that uh, your your wife uh, very specifically kind of understands what the RC racing world is like. So that probably helps a little bit that uh, you know she's able to to appreciate a little bit more of this is what it takes and the travel and things like that. So that I'm sure that helps a little bit. Yeah, it helps out a ton. Uh, she grew up. She grew up in an RC family. Um, they've owned multiple multiple tracks, indoor carpet. They have, you know, they had the outdoor saline track for I think like thirteen years. Uh, so they've been heavily involved in the industry for a very long time. And she kind of grew up around it as well. So she kind of knew what she was getting into. Um, obviously, <laughs> it's a little bit different when you know your husband is traveling two to three weeks out of out of the month for the most part. So. It's definitely been tough, but she understands. She understands the industry. She understands what it takes, and she actually comes to a lot of the races as well to help out and just be a part of it. So, definitely makes it makes it a lot easier on me. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I think sometimes my wife kind of is okay when I'm traveling a little bit. So maybe <laughs> maybe sometimes that's uh, healthy for a marriage. So yeah, anyway, definitely. but yeah, it's, it's all about balance. It sounds like you know you you've done a great job, and like you said, you just kind of figure it out at some point, I guess. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah. you know, sometimes it takes a little bit, you know, you, you, you make mistakes and you got to learn from them. Um, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's always a work in progress. 
Very cool. Well, congrats again on on kind of being so young and getting a house and kind of getting getting life started off to a great great start. That's pretty awesome, man. It's great to hear. Um, switching switching gears a little bit, uh, kind of jumping back into racing. You know, one of the things that I think is so cool to watch, whether it's uh, you know full scale motorsports or you know any any sort of racing is when you're in that zone, as they call it, you know, what is that like for you when you're battling for that first place position with a couple laps to go? Um, can you, you know, do you kind of like zone in? Can you see and hear everything? Or is it just like a quiet Zen moment for you? What's that like for for, for Dakota? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, man, that's such a crazy feeling. Um, it's definitely, definitely hard to describe because there's not really anything else like it, at least nothing that, that I've found uh, so far in life. But yeah, man, with those, you know, you have a couple laps, a couple laps left to go in the race and you're battling for that position. Um, it's a little bit different whether you're in first or second. Uh, obviously in first, you know, you're trying to defend and hang on. And you're like, come on, let's, you know, let's just be over. Um, um, and then when you're in second, you're like, all right, I need a couple more laps. But no, it, it's a it's a crazy, amazing feeling. Um, you don't like kind of zone everything else out. And uh, you kind of just take that breath and you got to decide, all right, like, this is it. You know, either I make it happen or I don't. I need to make that decision right now. And uh, you decide and you just uh, you give it your all. Um, man, it's yeah. I've been in that I've been in that position a couple times. And uh, yeah, after after it happens, you just it's almost like you've been holding your breath. You know, your heart right. rate's going up. And you don't really realize any of that, though, till afterwards. You don't realize your heart rate's going up. You don't realize you're almost kind of forgetting to breathe. Um, and after that race is over, it's kind of like laying out a huge breath, huge breath of air and just uh, just trying to enjoy that, enjoy that moment and almost relive it. Um, I think it's definitely hard to enjoy in that moment because, like I said, it's just so intense. But then afterwards, you can kind of like remember, remember what it was like and enjoy it for what it was. Yeah, I mean, have you have you kind of learned over the years? I know you have, right, based on your performance. But where you can kind of learn to push and learn to pull back when you're racing, you know, how do you how do you kind of go about that? Or is it more of just an experience thing where you say, "Well, I can push in this corner here," or "I can I need to hold back here before I pass this car"? And where does that kind of skill set come from, or how does that work for you? Yeah, I think it definitely comes with experience and and uh, mental maturity and just just going to as many places and tracks as possible and getting practice on different layouts, being able to adapt quicker. Um, and that was always a big thing with my parents is like, Hey, if you want to do this and like traveling is important, you know, you don't, you know, you don't, if this is what you want to do, you don't want to be good just at one track. You know, you need to learn to be able to adapt to all these different tracks and layouts and the dirt composition and everything like that. So I think it's definitely something that comes with time. It comes with experience. Um, and you, it's hard because you don't, you can't guarantee that it's going to happen. You can, there's a lot of people that have a ton of talent and uh, for whatever reason, it just doesn't, it doesn't ever progress and adapt to the ability to be able to figure that out and take that, take that step back and figure out how to go at the limit without crashing. Um, and obviously, you know, the ones that do it, they become, you know, usually pretty successful, but I don't know exactly what it is. It's something to do with uh, mental maturity and just experience. Um, but it definitely took me a while. I was always, I always had that, that speed and that ability to, to do that second gear, but figuring out how to turn it down a little bit and not make those mistakes was always probably my main challenge. Um, and probably still is it's, it's tough. You know, it, every person is different, but for me, it's just been trying to, uh, limit those mistakes and, uh, 
knowing where I can push and where I can't push. Yeah, Steve, is it, uh, you've competed at the, the world level as well, nationals and worlds and in FPV and wing racing. I mean, is it, is it similar for you too? I mean, in that yeah, case, I mean, I mean, I think, yeah, I think with any kind of, when you're in that position where you're, I mean, this happened at the, at the worlds when James and I were racing kind of front and center, he and I were kind of running one and two. And so it was a little bit of a team scenario, which I know isn't always the case. Um, so we were helping each other block and stuff, but yeah, you're in that, you know, you, you feel like you're, it's like an hour race, you know, and that, yeah, that yeah. time that goes by is like, it's like, oh, that was 15 seconds, you know, or, or some, you know, some ridiculously short amount of time. And, uh, you know, yeah, you're, you're not breathing, your heart rate's cranked, but in that moment, you, you don't feel any of that. It's not like you're running a marathon. Your heart's just beating for no reason. You know, I'm sitting in a chair and Dakota, you're standing <laughs> on the driver's stand. I mean, we're yeah. not, not athletes for the full sense no. of the term, but you know, the, your heart rate is cranking and, and you're doing everything you can. You're all your mental faculty is focused on that one particular thing. Uh, in my case, you know, it was just my fingers on the sticks and flying and, pushing as hard as you can. And so, yeah, I think it's a very similar, I would imagine it's very similar. Um, I will say my RC car racing career is definitely not the same. I, I'm pretty terrible at that, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's a good question, Chris. It's really, it's very similar. And I, I was sure if we asked, you know, guys like Juan Pablo Montoya, I'd say, I bet he'd say the same thing when he's driving an F1 car at right, 170 right. miles an hour. I'm sure it's a very similar feeling. Although yeah. he's probably doing a little more physical work than we are, but <laughs> <laughs> just a little yeah, bit. no, you're right. But it, it, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So Dakota, maybe you can tell us. You know, last year, 2019 at the Worlds um, in Slovakia, maybe tell us a little bit about that. I mean, how how did everything go there? You know, and how was how was Slovakia? I mean, you talked earlier about how you've traveled the world and you've seen some pretty pretty interesting places. I mean, to go to Slovakia racing. Um, is pretty cool. I mean, how, how was that experience? Yeah, you know, when, you, when you're going to a place, you know, like Slovakia, you don't really know what to expect. Uh, you know, you do a little bit of research about food and things like that. But, you know, you don't you don't really know what it's going to be like. And it was I was surprised. It, it was a really nice place. It was really cool. And it was very, at least where we were, it was very like small town oriented. Um, so the track was like in a small little town had a lot of family restaurants. And then where we stayed was in a pretty small town as well, you know, with a nice brick downtown and everything. And all the people were super nice. And uh, it, it was a great place to be. And I, I enjoyed being there. Um, the, the facility was very nice, uh, super clean. Uh, you know, it was, it was a fun track. The dirt was very unique. Um, almost had kind of like a chalky substance to it. So it, it, it was pretty low bite. Um, yeah, so uh, we went there with uh, the new uh, TLR22X4, and uh, we knew the car was good, but, you know, showing up to Worlds with a brand new car, you know, we had three and a half days on it, so very limited time. Uh, you know, we knew the car was good, but you don't really know where you're at until you're in a racing scenario. So it, it, it's always a little stressful to show up to Worlds with, with a brand new car, not knowing a lot about it, not knowing, you know, what direction for the setup you need to go in. And then showing up to a crazy surface, you know, where you're running, you're running open cell foams and they're having uh, concrete jump faces so that you have enough grip to get over the jumps, you know, so it's, there, there was a lot going on and uh, the team kind of came together and uh, worked really hard and we, we got the foil pretty good really quickly. And uh, yeah, I was able to, uh, I believe I top seeded and then through qualifying at a couple little issues in the first, first couple qualifiers. And then uh, the last 
last three qualifiers needed to make it happen. Uh, was able to uh, start second overall behind Bruno. Uh, and then from there, had a really good, really good fight with him. Uh, I won the first main, and then uh, second main, I think I got uh, got second overall. So overall, I finished second. Um, I had a chance to win. Uh, fortunately, that didn't happen, which kind of is a, always sucks and is always a bummer. Uh, but then you know, looking at the positive side of it, it it was a great experience. It's my first time really being like in the hunt for a world championship. I've always I've always been there. I'm usually in the mains. You know, I'm always always usually like right there, but never like in that one two fight for the win. So it was it was a great experience. It's a it's a very unique feeling at a world's. It's just for whatever reason, you know, and we've we've talked about it before. It's just uh, a different feeling, a different atmosphere with all the people. Um, it's a lot more serious, and just everyone just seems to elevate their game. So it, it it was really cool to be up there battling with a new car and to feel so comfortable that quickly with with a new vehicle with such limited time you know it's uh it it was great for the car and it was great for me to be able to uh feel so comfortable with it and then we've had a lot of success with it afterwards with a lot of different drivers so it it was cool to see the success come so quickly and so early sometimes that's not the case um but it was the case with this so i'll take it uh i think it's always going to kind of be like something like you know man you know coulda shoulda woulda but you're not owed anything in racing and uh, just kind of, you know, fires me up to uh, keep working and to uh, be better. Great. Great. Well, that's, yeah, I, I think the, the, the ability to, to perform at, at events like that is, is hard at one point. And then when you have to travel, you're off your time clock, you know, you're in a different time zone. It, it adds a whole nother layer of complexity yeah. uh, for sure. Well, speaking of large events, you know, it, I, I think it's, um, what, from your perspective, what is the most challenging thing when it comes to going to these big events and, and does it ever get easy for you? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a day by day and event by event by event, uh, a thing there. I mean, you kind of, you don't, you don't know for sure how it's going to go. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the big races are at the same events or at the same like facilities for the most part. So you kind of, kind of have a game plan going forward. Hey, you know, this is, this was my ending setup last year. Here's what tires I started with. Here's what tires I ended with. And you kind of just know the dirt a little bit. So that that usually helps. But, you know, sometimes you're bringing new cars. Sometimes it's at a, a, a different track and you don't know what to expect, which is where that experience, you know, and just traveling everywhere and going to different tracks helps you figure out, you know, what the dirt's going to be like, how it's going to change and adapt and be able to uh, make changes quickly. You know, some sometimes you'll go to an event and everything will just, go perfect sometimes it's it goes perfect with one car sometimes it goes perfect with all the cars and you know sometimes you have you have a year that's like that or or a month that's like that and you just really never know you just gotta when it's working you just gotta capitalize on it and uh take those wins when they when they come your way and uh when they don't just keep keep working hard and uh trying to uh, get close enough by the time mains come around that you're able to win but yeah i mean like sometimes it is easy Sometimes, sometimes you just show up and you don't have to change anything on your car. Your tire prep's good and, uh, you're able to, you know, TQ and win and it's easy. And sometimes you're struggling the whole weekend and, uh, just, uh, working and trying to, uh, trying to improve. Awesome. Yeah. I, 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 one of the things I always wondered, and this wasn't in our script, but I'm wondering, how how often? I mean, how what kind of kit do you bring to an event? You know, you you probably have to have multiple sets of tires, various compounds, tread patterns, 
parts. I mean, what does your loadout look like, especially when you travel internationally? Is it, are you kind of coming off the plane with, you know, 15 carry-ons or <laughs> is it pretty well compact these days? Yeah, it's, it's hard to travel. It really is. When I was going with my parents, it was nice because we would normally fly Delta and my mom had, had like the Delta card or whatever it was. So we each got two bags. Um, you know, we didn't always have to bring six OGOs to the race, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite as limited as it is when you're traveling by yourself. Uh, so normally I'll bring like two OGO bags and I'll have a carry on and a backpack. I normally carry a spectrum radio in my backpack and then I will try to carry two cars and all my clothes in my carry on, which sometimes is very tough with, uh, with eight scale stuff. And then any other cars I'll pack in the, the check bags and then parts maybe a couple sets of tires, things like that. Uh, It's nice for the most part, uh, parts wise, usually there's a team there. So you can, you can bring most parts, but if you don't have something, usually someone else will have it. And then for tires, usually you'll just bring a couple sets of tires that are kind of ready to go. So you can hit the track right away. And then uh, you'll have tires shipped in from the manufacturer or, you know, ship tires and wheels yourself. But yeah, it's, it's crazy how much, how much stuff you have to bring. Um, I mean, like, you know, we were at Nitro Challenge and uh, J Concepts, they rented a, a whole container with, you know, probably 30 boxes of tires in it for, for the guys. And, you know, Proline brings out their, uh, their tr- you know, their, uh, their truck that's filled with boxes. And, you know, AK does the same thing. It's, it's crazy how much goes into it and how many sets of tires we go through. You know, you have, I'll have, sometimes I'll have, you know, 10 sets of tires sitting on my table ready to go, you know three different compounds and, you know, four or five different tread patterns, um, you know, depending on, on the weather and the time of day. And if you're getting water or not water, we had to have, have a lot of tires ready to go. You know, if, if the track's watered, you go with a softer set. If it's sunny and, you know, 80 degrees, you'll go with a different set than if it's 65 out. So it's, the game has just been elevated and raised and, uh, you just, just gotta be as prepared as possible. But I mean, have you ever been to like a like a full scale race, like a NASCAR F one race? I mean, it's the the equipment that they bring for one vehicle there is is an insane amount of equipment and people. Um, but it seems like it carries over a bit to the RC world, right? When you're at a professional level, you you got to have that level of pit crew. You got to have that level of equipment on hand. I mean, obviously we're not you're not driving around in a semi truck, but uh, you know if you scale it down, it's, it's a, probably a very similar layout. <laughs> yeah, I think to I think to scale probably is pretty similar. Um, you know, most, most races, um, you know, the team manager is there to help, um, normally, normally he'll pit me and then someone else will pit me. Um, Barry Baker has been coming to some eight scale races, you know, helping with setup and working on the cars and things like that, you know, and then you have, you have someone usually at every race or someone from tires from the tire manufacturer that's there to help you. Um, and it's just, a it, it's a lot of people that go into it and it's a lot of people that have the success behind it you know there's the engineers and the product developers and there's just so much that goes into it behind the scenes that you might not even see at the races yeah definitely well speaking of of the race industry you know i I, i'm interested to hear from your perspective you know how have how has things changed whether it's the obviously people come and go brands come and go but Overall, how do, how has the industry changed from when you started to where it is now from like a racing standpoint? Uh, obviously, the cars have changed, right? But is the community different? Is the technology better? Where, where do you think things have changed? 
Yeah, it's actually, it's kind of astonishing how much the industry has changed in such a short time. You know, I've, I'm not that old yet. You know, I'm getting there. I'm getting older. But, uh, you know, starting so, so young, I've been in the industry for quite a while now. But when you think about it, you know, 15 years, it's really not that long. And it's crazy how much the industry has changed between the, you know, the cars evolving and progressing and just the level, the level of racing, the level of commitment from all the teams. It has just progressed and uh, and grown very very quickly. Um, now the the tracks are changing a lot, and it's kind of more about the slicks and having as much grip as possible. And the cars have kind of gone in that direction now as well, where it's it, it's set up to be as fast as possible. And uh, you know, you look back what six years ago, you're running rear motor cars with you know step pins or Ifmar pins, and uh, now we're running running slicks with the motor halfway forward on the car. So that's a, that's a testament to how committed everyone is in the industry and how much we want to progress and how much we love it and just how committed everyone is. As far as from a professional standpoint, the industry, you know, everything has been raised as well from the drivers. There's a lot more time and commitment that goes into it. People are doing it for a full-time career now. You know, back in the day, it used to be they do it, you know, until their late 20s or early 30s. And then they kind of like step out of it and get like a real job, so to speak. And now you see people that this this is like their full time job and it's going to be their full time job until they can't do it anymore. You know, so it that that aspect has changed a lot and it's become a lot more serious. And uh, just the time of commitment is just uh, always increasing. Yeah. So Dakota, kind of on that, on that same topic, then, you know, you mentioned how much the cars have evolved and, and changed, um, you know, you're, you're pretty involved with that. Maybe you could tell us a little bit, um, about your involvement with the TLR development team. I know you work with Todd Hodge and Frank Root, the team out there a lot. Um, you know, what, how exactly do you provide feedback to, to the development team to make sure we are, you know, uh, staying out front, so to say? Yeah, it's cool that relationship has developed and, you know, obviously changed over the years as I've gotten a little bit older. Uh, it's been really cool to slowly kind of be involved in these projects. And uh, I was talking to, I think I, I think I was talking to Thomas about it recently. Um, one of the most special cars to me was the original 22 when it came out. I actually, that was my first prototype car that I got before, before everything came out and uh, how special that was to be able to be a part of that and then how it's kind of, grown to now, you know, having, having an influence on the car's design and what direction we go. Um, so yeah, I, I work closely with uh, Frank Root on the 10 scale side of things and uh, Dun- Ryan Dunford on the eight scale side of things, kind of getting my personal feedback um, from what I see with the cars, what direction I think we need to go in. And then I get a lot of the prototype parts to test, um, see what I think of it. Uh, because obviously you need to you need the car to work for everybody. You need the car to work for the average consumer, and then at the same time you need to be able for it to be competitive at you know the very very top end of things. So it's uh, it's always a little bit hard trying to find that balance. But it's been really cool to work with them to kind of you know figure out and learn things. I've learned a ton from them. I've learned a lot about setup and cars and design and all that. You know it's been it's always cool when I get to go into the office and. Uh, you know, see the engineers there on the keyboard, you know, designing everything out and kind of their thoughts and processes and how they do all that. But yeah, it's my relationship with them has always kind of just been growing and developing. And uh, 
I've slowly become a bigger part of the development and kind of, you know, as I get older, I know more so they can kind of trust, trust me a little bit more that I know what I'm talking about. And uh, it's, it's been, it's, it's a really cool feeling. Yeah, that's great. They ever, know not to listen to me. So that, that's all <laughs> I'm, glad they, I'm glad they listen to you. So um, we have like crazy monster awesome. trucks if you had input on that, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I told that you remember last time, Steve, I told Ali Machinsky, who develops Hangar 9 for us, Dakota. I said, if I helped with airplane development, everything would have monster truck tires. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if that would land. work or not. Yeah. Yeah. So. For sure. So that's awesome. I have to ask, and usually at some point, Steve, you know, the conversation turns here uh, for us, but uh, you know, you're from Michigan. You mentioned early on that, you know, uh, you know, you got into cars and and racing partially because you were inspired by full scale uh, cars and automotives. Um, So other than Kent and the general Lee that we've both covered, um, you know, what, what else, uh, is it about cars that you're into certain things? Are you a big three fan being from Michigan, uh, or, you know, what is it about cars that, you know, is a passion for you? Yeah, I, I'm a big three fan when it comes to old cars. I'll probably get, I'll probably get in trouble for the saying this, but not, not so much the, the new stuff. Um, when it comes to new stuff, I'm more of a, more of an import guy, but I definitely, definitely love the, the old the old muscle cars and all that stuff. But I don't know. There's just yeah. something about it. There's something about the cars that just, uh, it's just so cool. It's so cool to see how things have changed and developed and how styles are such a big influence on the cars, you know, and how it's changed, how it's changed and how like, you know, people from when they're kids, when they were kids, you know, they'll get, they'll get their, you know, childhood car and they'll restore that. And that's what they'll be driving around. And it's really cool to, see those just see those people with those cars and the stories behind them and for the most part all the people you know are super nice and willing to talk you know talk about the car that they love and you know come see your car and check all that out and it's just a it's just a great kind of like big huge large family um and then from the driving standpoint of things i've always i've always loved the that rush uh driving a fast car and uh i've done gone and done like a couple like open track days and things like that on road courses and really enjoyed that. So really just kind of everything that, that racing and cars encompass has just always been a part of my life and always been something that that's been uh, close to my heart. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely so. And I, I, you know, I don't know if I've ever, we've ever talked about this, but I worked at the GM tech center for a while early in my career. And yeah, and there's still just something about that when you, you know, and, and I think it's like our world too. I mean, sometimes, you know, like you said, you get a prototype car, you know, sometimes when you get to see, you know, like Ford's coming back out with the Bronco now, and I'm so excited yep. to, to see <laughs> these mule shots of it. And it's like, I just want to see what the finished product looks like. And um, yep. it, it is, it's a passion and it is so much a part of, you know, c- car culture is so much a part for a lot of us of kind of, of our personalities. And like you said, it's a community, much like the RC world. So it's interesting. Yeah. I know the guys in California, um, we have an ongoing debate on, uh, you know, Toyota pickups versus. <laughs> I knew this was know, coming. <laughs> yeah, versus you know, and, and Scott Hughes when when he was on the team, and Todd, of course, are big, uh, and Rich Trujillo, they're all big uh, Toyota guys, and I always argue the the merit of a good Chevy pickup or a good Ford yeah. pickup. And, uh, it, it's a it's probably about a five year argument. I'm pretty sure nobody's going <laughs> to ever 
on it, but, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and it does just kind of speak to that passion and, and stuff. So yeah, it's cool to hear just how, like you said, this all, all comes in together. I guess maybe kind of looking, pulling this back a little bit closer to you, you know, who's been the biggest influence on your career, both on the track, off the track, you know, do you have any, even non-racers that you admire or look up to, but who's really helped, you know, you Dakota become the, the person and, and, you know, pro racer that you are? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I definitely have to say my parents because there is no way that I would be here without them. Like I said before, they've been, you know, 100% committed to, you know, whatever it may have been that I wanted, wanted to do. And, you know, it was RC and they were 100% involved and committed. And, you know, I mean, we traveled, started traveling the country at seven years old, you know, they, they, uh, just showed absolutely amazing dedication and, uh, you know, just so crazy supportive. Um, you know, kind of looking back now when I'm older, it's, it's crazy. It's just crazy. Um, so of course them, um, and not to say probably a Todd Hodge too, He's been he's been around and I've known him for a very long time and he's kind of helped to progress and develop me and kind of just just been there, just been supportive um, of my racing, of my life in general. And, uh, you know, he's he's just always been there. We'll definitely make sure we tell Todd, but I know he yeah. listens to this podcast. So. Yeah. <laughs> It'll Great. be a, it'll be have that uh, proud dad moment almost. <laughs> yeah. That's right, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I'm sure we were talking about it. I think we, uh, I think I met him in, uh, I believe it was in Albuquerque at the nationals there. He was actually the team manager there. Um, and that was my first time meeting him. So it, it, it's been a very long time that I've known him and, uh, you know, I've, I've got to know him pretty well. And, uh, you know, you, you know, I go over there and stay at his house sometimes and, uh, he, he's just always been there. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure he'll love to hear that. So thanks. Thanks for, uh, giving him a little bit of a shout out there. Yeah, of course. Cool. <laughs> well, Dakota, when, you know what, I know you've been doing this a while and probably haven't ever thought about this, but I'm sure it crosses your mind once in a while. But if you weren't racing every day, you know, for a living, what, what do you think you might be doing for a career? If this wasn't kind of your path, what do you think you might be doing? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I've definitely thought about it. So it's so hard to know because I've been, you know, I've been so committed to this for such a long time at such a young age. You know, it's hard to know that if RC hadn't been a part of my life where I where I would have been at. Um, but I've always I've always loved cars. So I'd probably be in the car industry in, a, you know, some way, shape or form. You know, it'd be awesome to, uh, you know, be out there testing the cars or something like that. Um, but, yeah, it's it's hard to say. I could definitely see you on the on the big test tracks doing <laughs> yeah. skid pad testing or something like that. I could think of worse things to do. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that would definitely be a. When I was at the tech center, we had the test track, and I always thought, yeah, how how do I get the job where I get to go drive on it all day long? But uh, I I wasn't yeah. anywhere near it. I just thought it was the cool part of the <laughs> work. But yeah, for sure. Um, we talked what did about you do travel. Uh, I well, it was boring. Um, in, in the grand <laughs> scheme of things, I worked on. Uh, it was when GM was uh, in the process of consolidating like all of their uh dealership systems from like it used to be every like gm had totally different systems than cadillac uh-huh. and buick and they were kind of going to it and saying well we should have like all the same systems to run our dealerships and it doesn't really matter if it's a cadillac dealership or a, a, a chevy one 
And so I was on, they called it common systems, but we did all of the, we were changing all of the dealerships from developing the software that uh, was going to move everybody from having their own systems to, to GM uh-huh. systems. So it was cool. Okay. Um, it was a neat place to work. I was in the Chevy headquarters at the tech center and yeah, you, you know, our, the aisles were wide enough that they could, you know, push a chassis down the hallway and, Oh wow! I went to lunch. Went to lunch one day, and Jeff Gordon's car was in the cafeteria. You know, it was actually like actually one of his cars. It, it yeah. was cool. I mean, it, you know, definitely one of those. Even though it, my job and exact position wasn't super exciting, it was a cool place to be. Um, you know, there was a lot yeah, of cool sure. stuff yeah. you could see. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess you know maybe a, a question. We were talking a little bit about travel early on. Uh, where's the coolest place you've ever? gotten to go to race and do you ever get to do anything fun while you're in some of these places, you know, go see some of the the sites when you're there. What's, what's some of the coolest experiences you've had? Maybe not so much the track or race itself, but just, you know, coolest place you've gotten to go out of this. Yeah. I, uh, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be, you know, traveling to the worlds for quite a while now and uh, been to, been to some cool countries um finland was super cool it kind of reminded me of michigan a little bit just kind of the scenery with you know all the trees and stuff it was crazy to be there it was light like 22 hours out of the day and then the the other two hours were kind of like at dusk so it's still like you could still see clearly it wasn't dark out so that was that was pretty crazy i mean you're like you know sleeping with a blindfold on because it's just you know you're sunny out and you look out and it's like oh it's actually like two in the morning and the, you know the sun's still up in the sky so that was a that was a really cool experience, um, just just to see that. Um, Thailand was really cool. All the people there were really nice, and just to see how different the culture is and stuff. Um, Japan, Japan was super cool to see. I went to. I really enjoyed. It. I went to uh, Australia a couple of years ago, and uh, my wife Chloe came as well, and we stayed for quite a few days after, kind of toured around Sydney. Um, got to see the city and things like that. And then we flew over to New Zealand, which was just absolutely beautiful wow. and gorgeous. I uh, would love to go back there again someday. But yeah, I would say, I would probably say the the prettiest, most like breathtaking place I've been was, was New Zealand after the worlds in Australia. It was just so pretty. Um, it, it was just incredible. Wow. Yeah. Sounds, I know a lot of movies, you know, are kind of have filmed in New Zealand because it's that like, beautiful picturesque uh country and it's you know there's still a lot of like undeveloped areas and stuff i've never been there but uh i'll have to take your uh travel advisor tip here try (laughs) try to fit it in at some point that's awesome yeah there's a lot of different like different places you can go there with like different scenery and stuff Uh, i think i know they they filmed the lord of the rings there uh, you know, with all those like little hobbit huts. And oh yeah, stuff. yeah. We were we were looking forward to going to check that out, but uh, it was, it was too far away, but no, uh, it's a super yeah. pretty place. And uh, there's a lot of things to do there. Cool. Awesome. Well, what, uh, with all your traveling, what's been your, your proudest racing achievement and then kind of where do we go from here? What's your next goal? You've always got to have something in mind, I'm sure. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I really race meant a lot to me just because that race is just so crazy to win. There's so much that goes into it and so much stress and there's a lot of luck involved and just everything just has to go your way. So it, it was, it's really cool to be able to say that I've won that race because you can be the best 
best driver in the world for your whole career and and not win that race. So that was that was really cool to do to be able to accomplish that and uh, you know kind of check it out the list so to speak. It's uh, definitely like you know cross the line after I was like, all right, I'm done. I can take a break now. I can breathe, <laughs> you know, because it's just so stressful. Um, yeah, that I would have to say probably that one for sure. Cool. And then what's your, uh, what's your kind of your, your next goal? What's your next achievement you're looking to hit when it comes to racing? Yeah. I mean, right now it's kind of hard because, <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of races that we don't know exactly where to get it back to it. But I would say, um, you know, I, I would, I'd love to win a world one same. I would love to win a world someday. Um, especially being so close now, like I said, that kind of, you know, really fired me up to, uh, to work hard and to be able to accomplish that goal. Um, so yeah, probably be able to cross that off the list someday. Awesome. Well, I'm sure you'll get there, man. You've you've got all the all the talent and all the experience to get there. So that'll be an exciting day. Well, um, appreciate the it. Question I ask, I question uh, question I ask a lot of folks. Actually, pretty much everybody is uh, as we kind of get towards the end of the podcast. Is what what advice do you have for anyone getting started in the let's just say the RC industry as a whole, but really on the racing side for, for you, you know, what, what do you think if a kid came up to you and said, I want to be you one day, Dakota, what, what would you tell that kid? I would just say, you got to have fun first. You know, if, if you're taking it so seriously in the beginning and not having fun and not enjoying it, you know, it, it's not going to last. So you need to be able to have fun and to enjoy the moments when they happen, you know, and, and enjoy the people. Uh, there's a lot of great people in this industry and I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of them, to become friends with a lot of them, and even, you know, to call some of them family. So that just the just the experiences that you get, the people that you get to meet, you know, if, if you're in this industry, you know, it should be because you love it. And uh, that means everyone else that's in the industry, you know, they're kind of kind of, you know, have something similar that connect with it. So a lot of us, a lot of us, you know, get along well and because we love the same things. So just keeping that in mind and uh, just remembering to have fun you know, at the end of the day, this is, this is something that we love to do and uh, we got to have fun first. Good advice. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that's, that's probably good life advice too, Dakota. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty awesome. Hey, uh, Dakota, thanks for taking your time today. What Steve and I always like to do again, as we get towards the end here, we appreciate all the great conversation. We want to give you a chance here towards the end to talk about anything we haven't covered today something that's important to you or give you a chance to promote something. If you have something to promote anything you'd like to say to anybody who may be listening to the podcast today, um, advice or anything that you want to cover. So open mic moment for you to just cover whatever you'd like. Cool. Well, I appreciate it. Um, you guys, you know, TLR and horizon have been such a big part of my life for a very long time. You know, I appreciate all those, all the support and the help that you guys have done to be able to, you know, get me where I am here today. And, I, you know, I definitely would have been able to do it without you guys. And, uh, you know, I, I can't wait for the future, you know, whatever, whatever that may be. I can't wait for it to keep, uh, to keep growing with you guys, to keep learning and, uh, to keep progressing in this industry. You know, it's, it's, it's just so cool. Uh, you know, I, I love this. I love this hobby. I love this sport, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, it's cool to have you guys. So, so involved and uh, just to be changing the industry how you guys have and uh you know for for everyone out watching um thank you guys for being supporters for being a part of this um thanks so my sponsors you know tlr trinity uh, spectrum horizon hobby 
Stick It One Racing, OC, OS Speed, J Concepts, um, Bradley Fine Line Designs, Stick It One Racing. I, you know, I appreciate all you guys for all the support. And uh, can't I cannot wait to get up back out there, get some racing in. I think we're all kind of chopping at the bit here a little bit. And I uh, can't wait to get back out to some races. Um, I've been super excited. Uh, you know, I have Thomas Tran, the new team manager. Super excited to uh, start working with him and uh, get out to some races with him. Yeah, well, the feelings feelings certainly mutual, Dakota. I know, you know, it seems like at least a couple times a year I run into you at a race or out at the Ontario office or something. And it's been great talking to you today just to hear your voice and uh, to hear more of your great story. And, uh, yeah, I think we're all chomping at the bit to get back out to the track. <laughs> And, you know, some of us are chomping to get back out to the field or the crawler course, yeah. wherever, and uh, we'll get there soon enough. I look forward to seeing you in person and, and saying thanks for uh, for joining us today. But I, I will say, you know, on behalf of everybody at Horizon, certainly uh, for Steve and myself, thanks for coming on today. More importantly, we are, we're excited to to have you continue to represent Horizon uh, Team TLR to be a team driver for us. And to continue to grow and share uh, this RC, you know, hobby sport uh, community uh, through the competitive racing you do. You're such a great ambassador. You're always so pleasant to talk to. Um, I'm always amazed how humble you are given the talent you have. Uh, it's, it's really been nice talking to you today. Thanks for your time. And uh, we'll let you get back to uh, the rest of your day. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm, hoping, uh, I'm hoping Horizon Fest happens. So I'm, hope, I'm hoping you guys are able to make that happen. I always, I always love that event. You know, get out, get out there, get to see, see a bunch of you guys, kind of catch up a little bit. And uh, you know, it's, uh, it's always a, it's always a really good time. So I'm crossing my fingers. Yeah, don't worry. We, uh, we rescheduled it to later in the year. Uh, so we'll have uh, RC Fest in October. So check out the, the site there, and I'm sure we'll be reaching out to you to make sure you get out there for the little race we have, <laughs> the TLR Cup. Awesome. There um, we go. Yeah, we're we. Just like uh, just like you, we really don't want that event to uh, to be missed this year. So we're trying everything we can, hopefully, <laughs> to hit it in October. Unless you know Illinois just doesn't let us have any events until yeah. next year, but we will do everything we can to have the event. I know Chris and myself, we both uh, feel that that's a strong, strong piece of the Horizon culture and the community here in uh, in Central Illinois. So yeah, definitely excited to see you there, man. Well, cool. Thanks for coming on. We will let you get back to it. Uh, for everybody listening, we will see you guys here in uh, two weeks with another exciting guest. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Dakota. Hey guys, thanks for listening into this week's episode of the On the Horizon RC podcast. We'll of course be back in two weeks with another exciting guest. Please make sure to subscribe, tell your friends, and share the word of this awesome podcast. We hope you guys have been enjoying it. I haven't gotten a lot of negative feedback, only good stuff, so we think we're doing the right thing. But guys, uh, please make sure to stay safe out there. We'll keep you updated with everything going on at Horizon and all the event changes and of course all the new products coming out. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Take care.